Hey everybody, Scott Malcolm here from Money Mechanics. Just a quick message to say any information that we share during this podcast is general information only. Please do not act on that information without considering the appropriateness towards your specific needs and outcomes. Ideally, we suggest that you go and meet with a financial planner and get personal advice. Hi, folks. Welcome along to another episode of Looking Under the Hood, where we are unpacking the money stuff. I'm Scott Malcolm from Money Mechanics, and today I'm joined by one of my favourite accountants. And look, people probably don't often say that they have a favourite accountant, but um, this one just really exciting to hang out with really engaging when it comes to the tax and business and property stuff and all round interesting person. So it's it's great to welcome along Jane Hadrill from Hadrill Accounting. How are you, Jane? Scotty, thanks for that intro. That's really kind. When you sort of said one of my favourite accountants, I was first of all a bit taken aback that there are other people like what are you? I thought you were a one accountant kind of man. But then I stepped back and thought, no, it is important to have a range of different professionals around. So, um, I mean, you're the only financial planner that I would ever refer to. But if we're talking about thing, people like mortgage brokers, then I actually will refer to a number of different ones. So after thinking that through, thank you for that lovely introduction. And I'm not offended that I'm not the one and only accountant for you. Well, look, you are my one and only in Canberra, but um, as you know, I do have clients in Canberra and Melbourne, and um, I look, I do float around a bit, Jane, as you know. So I've got a, f- a few different uh, accountants that uh, that I, I know uh, and uh, enjoy conversations with. But you're you're my number one and my go to. It's you. great to have you here because what what is really exciting, and I will put the links to our uh, our old foray into um, into YouTube videos before it was popular, Jane. Look, podcasting yeah. is the is the go these days but a few years ago jane and i set up a little uh youtube series called wealth and reality and uh it was really fun to unpack money and the the investment and the uh yeah, accounting well, sort of things. it was good fun look jane welcome along I've, I've been asking all my guests what, what's one of your early happy or joyous or early memories when it comes to the the money stuff well it's funny because i've really enjoyed the other podcasts um with women you know which is what I've been listening to which has been great your podcast and so I have given this some thought um, in anticipation of being asked and so um, I don't have just one I have a couple so my parents were very frugal mum was born in 1934 and grew up through World War II with rationing so as a result they brought us three kids up with you know a very big respect for money and a common phrase of my dad's was Money doesn't grow on trees. Oh. It's sort of like this untouchable, money doesn't grow on trees. But then the other side was that my family, my parents were very envious of people with lavish lifestyles, and I guess that was because it was out of reach of an office worker and a midwife. Mm. But they sent my brothers and I to the Launceston Church Grammar School um, and had to scrimp and save to do that because it was a high priority to them to do that. But really, you know, in hindsight, I would have preferred to have gone on you know, nice holidays for the equivalent of 20, 25 grand a kid a year. That would have been, I think, a better experience for us than grandma personally. 
But then sometimes I'd say to Dad, they're really, really nice. And he'd say, well, they've got lots of money. They can afford to be nice. I really don't know what that comment means. I mean. Wow, yeah. I'd love to, I'd love to unpack like, that one day. Yeah, wow. That's so I, I think, therefore, you know, I, I did grow up with those uh, ideas around, you know, saving towards something and, and I wasn't frivolous. But probably the happiest early memory of money was running into one of Dad's colleagues when shopping at the mall and he reached down to shake my hand and I must have been maybe seven or eight. So that was, you know, pretty low down he had to reach and it was a pretty unusual thing to do to shake hands with anyone, let alone a small girl. But then when he pulls his hand back, he'd left 50 cents in my palm and it was so magical. I was so delighted that I really thought, Wow, this money thing is pretty cool. And fifty cents back back then was you know quite a quite a you know worth yeah, yeah. quite a bit. Or you buy lots of lollies, I suppose. Was, so, was it around? Was it around fifty cent piece, Jane? Oh wait, you're not that old. I'm not that old. Oh, I'm not that old. Back off. Sorry. I was saying that with love. I was saying that with love, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, money. There are a few things you can't talk about. You know, money, sex, politics, and mm. I think. With your accountant, you can actually talk about money quite freely, which is um, you know, good for people to, to get it all out there and discuss why they feel good or bad about it. Yeah, which I it's know so you true. Really mm. well. You do really well with your client. Yeah, yeah and, and you too, Jane. Like I, I, I think we as professionals in this space hold such a privileged space with clients. And as you say, being able to talk about that, I know, taboo subject that yeah. people don't often speak about and being able to hold a space, especially with couples or, or business partners, to actually sit down and say, hey, let's have a conversation about the stuff that we're not supposed to talk about. And so... Yeah, it is. A, you're, you're right about that. And, you know, as a result... Not sure about you, but you see these clients once a year or maybe twice a year, and you sort of have this bond with them because they, you know, they feel like they can trust you with anything if they can talk about money. So, hmm. yeah, definitely, definitely. And um, yeah, well, I know we often joke about a, a different podcast that we might do down the track um, on on the subject of, of money and sex and and maybe politics as well. That could be a fun. Might get get a third person, well, no, a politician or something. We'll have a... <laughs> Oh, maybe money sex and the politician. Now that's an interesting one. Oh, there we go. Anyway, we'll we'll see if we get any feedback uh, on this one, Jane. We'll uh, open it up to the uh, to the, the podcast community and uh, see if people are interested. We'll, we'll go from Absolutely. there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, look, today I've got you along to to really unpack and talk about the tax stuff, and and I really love the way that you talk to people about it. I mean, look, we. Uh, in Canberra through the CIT uh, short course program, the adult education program. We both run classes there and I know that you you love the education side yeah. probably as much as I do in regards to helping empower and educate people around this stuff. And I really love how you communicate the tax system. Like it's, it's often a really complex space and I just love the way that you explain how the, the system comes together in that regard. So yeah, I guess from your perspective, the tax system, give us a 101 on, on what it's about, how it works, how you can best utilise someone like yourself as an accountant to, to make the system work in your favour. Oh, look, I don't think it's about me or about being an accountant. I think it's about people having a much better understanding of tax. Um, I just so wish that this was something that was taught at school because so often clients come along and ask these questions which if they'd only got a good grounding as a kid in school they wouldn't ask but I think fundamentally the more tax you pay 
the more you must be earning. And that's a really good thing. So paying lots and lots of tax is a really good thing. Sometimes when clients are complaining bitterly about the amount of tax they pay, I kind of push back and say, well, you know, someone's got to pay for the hospitals and the schools and the roads. Uh, And it's it's not a bad thing. But I say don't do anything for a tax deduction. Do it because it's a sound, sensible decision. And just because, you know, the tree plantations that you will have grown up with, Scotty, just because investment will give you a $20,000 tax refund doesn't mean it's a good investment. Mm. Um, You know, if you're spending $50,000 to get $20,000 back with no other hope of getting anything back, you're still out of pocket you know, the full $50,000 and you've got to pay interest on that and the loan exists. So don't do anything to get a tax deduction. Make sure you do it because it's a sound investment. I, th- I think you know, a couple of things that um, clients come up and say is, don't I get taxed more on a second job? So it's a big source of confusion. Like if you've got mm-hmm. two jobs and the total amount of your income is $40,000, you are going to pay exactly the same amount of tax as if you have one job with an income of $40,000. Yeah, so when that's really interesting, off, isn't it, that that marginal tax know, rate system? I know, and I think people think, oh, because I'm ticking a different box, because they're taking more tax out, it actually means I'm going to end up paying more tax, which, of course, it doesn't. Because mm. when your tax return is done, you earn 40000 whether it's from one or two jobs. But importantly, what it is is your second employer is going to withhold more tax than the first employer, otherwise you'll be short at the end of the year. Yeah, because so that's the, the, the joy, isn't it, of that tax-free threshold. And, and again, I often have clients, especially if they've got second incomes or they're doing their side hustle or, I don't know, career public servants who have started their uh, defined benefit income streams and they're going back <laughs> yep. to work again, they're going, oh, but, okay, claiming tax-free threshold. I'm like, yeah, you, you, get, you get one of them. You only get, get one per person. So. Yeah. Yeah, you're yeah, yeah. Well, in, in that case, and I've got, you know, quite a few few clients in that category, even ticking the box is not going to be enough because when you tick mm. the box, the employer's going to be taxed at 20%. But if they're already earning 50000 or 60000 on the mm. pension, you know, it's not going to be enough. So but that, that, I guess, brings me to another comment I'd like to make, which is, you know, you don't get anything for free. And when um, Julia Gillard in 2012... Um, changed the tax-free threshold from 6000 to 18200 Man, that's huge. That, yeah, it was all over the front page, wasn't it? I know. It was all over the front page as if, like, this was just amazing and people were going to save so much money. The bit that they forgot to mention was that they reduced the low-income tax offset from $1,500 right down. So in the end, your tax saving was about 600 not the 2500 that everyone thought it was going to be. So, you know, there's no there's no free sandwich. You know, you, yeah, you've yeah. got to, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's interesting and um, and one of our episodes in in this series we have uh, have spoken about how the system works and how tax reform and, and those elements come together and it it is quite fascinating because I think on the on the political spectrum it's always hard for politicians to make those calls and, and try and make um, adjustments to tax system but then us as the consumer of that that announcement or that oh yes we're doing all this amazing stuff, we don't actually get to see the rubber hitting the road until much later. And as you say, in, in hindsight, it might be media going, oh, yes, $2,500, oh, this is great, look what Treasury's put together. And in reality, you're getting $600 or, or thereabouts. So, but, yeah. And I think the more recent stuff around this is that next year's tax rate 
reductions they've actually brought forward to apply to this year mm. to help relieve some of this terrible COVID situation. Yeah. So someone might be um, saving overall $1,200 in tax. So what will happen is they'll get to the end of the tax year, do their tax return and think they're going to get an extra $1,200. It's like, mm. no, it doesn't work that way. Your employer has got new tax tables that they will apply so you'll get a bit more in your pay packet each week. Mm. So there's a lot of confusion out there about tax and it's this mystical and magical thing where, I mean, of course, the tax system is not simple, but for in everyday employees, it's quite straightforward. And I guess there's one thing that I would really like all of my clients to understand are the tax rates. So yeah. can I give you a little bit yeah. of test there, Scotty? Please, Jane. I, yeah. I love I love doing the tax I know. rate quiz with I you. know, the tax rate quiz. I know I've done it a few times. The tax rate of 32.5% used to go up to 90000 but it's just increased, hasn't it? What yes. threshold is it up to? I believe it's up to 120000 So you can earn 120000 worth of income and your marginal tax rate is at 32.5%. Fantastic. Um, and then yeah. what's the next rate between 120 and 180? I believe it's 37. Is that right? But you're good at this stuff. That's right. And what does it go up to? Uh, I think the top marginal rate we've got here in Australia is 45 cents in the dollar or 45%. That's right. Yeah. And, and what does that cut? All oh, right. When does that come in? Uh, is that that's 180, 180,000 and above? Very good. Yeah. Yeah, so I think if clients understood that more, then I would have less comments coming in like, oh, hey, my mate down the road bought a ute. Should I be buying a ute as well? And if, you know, if it's a tradie and he's sort of starting off and his income's 30000 it's not going to do him any good by buying a $30,000 ute because it'll drop so far below the tax-free threshold. So I think if you have a good understanding, and this is where um, negative gearing is so much less useful than what it used to be because mm. you don't get that top tax rate until your income's over 180, and that's a good thing. Yeah. But if you're only getting back 32.5% or 19% in the dollar for every, you know, dollar that's gone into um, negative territory, then, again, don't do anything for a tax reason. Do it because mm. it's a good investment. Exactly right, yeah, because you've got, you've got to spend that money. And, and I think just to come, cover off on those tax rates, so the, the tax-free threshold, I think, is 18200 And so yeah. I think the thing just to clarify there is that it is marginal. So a lot of the time I have clients say to me, oh, I'm earning 120000 so I'm in that next tax rate. And I'm like, yeah, but it's marginal. So if you actually work out the total tax paid and then divide that into your gross income, you're not paying tax at $0.45 cents in the dollar. You might actually only be paying tax at... 25 cents in the dollar, so 25%, if that makes sense. So it's really important to understand that because every time you do, as Jane was saying, a negative gearing strategy or you're spending money to buy a ute or buy a new laptop or uh, I often uh, ask my accountant, Jane, if it's good to buy a, a Prada um, a work bag or laptop <laughs> bag to uh, to have the function. And my accountant often comes back to me and what, what do they say, Jane? <laughs> well... Well, they say that if it's 100% work-related, the ATO is not going to question that you have a Prada work bag or a Montblanc pen to use, even if it is a couple, a couple of grand. But I would look at your cash flow first and make sure that you've minimised your bad debt <laughs> yeah, yeah. just by a few 
But but you're right. I didn't realise clients would say that to you too. I had one the mm. other day who said, oh, I think, I'm thinking of dropping a day because if I keep on working, you know, the five days, I'll slip into the next tax bracket. It's like, no, no, only the $1,000 mm. over, you know, the 120000 is taxed at 37%. So I agree. Yeah, people really need to become more familiar with those concepts. As you say, it's in that deductibility. And, and look, we, we do have an episode on, on super as well, and that'll be, be going out shortly. But the exciting thing about that, I guess, it's about going, right, where are we focusing this this cash flow? And as you said before, do it for an investment reason, not for a, a yeah. tax deduction. And so it's all about getting that balance right at the end of the day. If you get your handle on how the tax rates work, and, and look, the ATO has got plenty of resources. I've, I've actually been really impressed with the resource that the ATO has put in onto their website over the last couple of years. I don't know if you agree with that, Jane, but Absolutely. just seeing, yeah, the education, the videos, the the stuff that they put out from that, that engagement. Oh, it, it's excellent. And indeed, you know, particularly if I have a new small business client, that's where I'll direct them to. I'll say, you don't need to talk to me at my hourly rate. Go and do as much research as you can and come back with any questions that you might have. No, it's a, it's a very good resource. So um, just thought, thought I'd mention something about that. So mm. you understand negative gearing with property. So if your expenses exceed your income, the income from the property, sorry, then you can reduce your other income by the loss. Mm. You can't negative gear a business. So if you start a business as a florist and your expenses exceed your income by $10,000 in the first year, it's called a non-commercial loss and you have to carry that loss forward. So that's a conversation I often have with new business clients and they're always disappointed to hear that they can't claim the $50,000 loss against their other Yeah, no, that's that's really good to know. And I guess that's where that that insight uh, is really important when you're speaking to someone like yourself to go, right, okay, let's actually get an understanding of how this really works because we all, again, pick up and hear different messaging yeah. and different things or we, we see what friends do or other uh, business colleagues and, and start going through the process and, oh, I'll, I'll do that as well. Well, does it make sense for you? What's the context of, of those sort of decisions as, as yeah. well at the end of the day? And, look, I, I really love the way you work as well, Jane, with, with people and, and clients and the property side of things I know is something that you're pretty passionate about as well. Now we've, we've done another episode on, on property and, and how that can work. Uh, we've talked about sort of mortgages as well uh, as part of the podcast series, but I guess from your perspective as an accountant, what, what do people need to be looking at or um, thinking about if they are negative gearing or if they've got a strategy in place? And again, tax law can change. We had an election a few years ago that was focused on it. Didn't get up, obviously, but often say to people, the, the one guarantee is stuff is going to change. But from your perspective, what, what are some of the things that might, people might look for in that regard? So I, I very much have my own perspective on property. And, you know, I'm not a financial planner. I can't give advice. I'm not going to say to someone, go and buy that building in that development. But I do have my own fairly strong views that I follow in my own investments, and that is don't buy new. I feel that buying new means that it's the builder that has set the price and not the market. And also with the pretty terrible building quality in Canberra, particularly lately, 
uh, I'd be buying a property that's at least five years old so you can figure out whether there are actually any problems, any building problems with it. I remember going to um, Kingston to look at a place with a friend and we'd gone down underneath to look at the basements and there were props propping up the ceiling of the car park and this friend of mine said, oh, do you think I should buy? Oh, I'm like, no. So there run. are big problems. Run away that from means that garage quickly. Run away. <laughs> run away. The other thing that I really aim for is a 6% gross return. I used to say 7 but properties have got more expensive and the rent hasn't gone up in the same way. So a 6% gross rental return. So what that means is the annual rent divided by the purchase price equals 6%. You don't include um, legal fees, stamp duty, anything else to get to that percentage. Now, some people say, oh, yeah, I've just bought a 10% returning property because the rent is $500 a week and the property cost $500,000, where, of course, that's ridiculous because you're not comparing apples with apples. You have to do the annual rental calculation and then divide it by the $500,000. So in this case, it would be a 5.2% return, which is not enough for me. Yeah, well, and step through that, Jane. So you're saying, again, get the weekly rent, weekly rent times by 52 to get the annual rent yeah. and then divide that annual rent into the, the property value. That's, that's right. right, that's right. Yeah. And yeah, that's well, a 5.2%, yeah. And yeah. in order to get a 6% turn, you would need to have rental of $575 a week to bring it up to that 6% return. So yeah, it's a really cool way to work out how much you're going to offer for a property because you mm. can say okay I'm going to offer you $460,000 walk away and the $460,000 is what's going to give you that 6% return if there's only $500 a week rent yeah some people say you know you hear real estate agents say you'll never get 6% returning Canberra and maybe they're right in the current market but death, divorce and disease can do really positive things for the buyer and very negative things for the seller um, in terms of negotiating. If someone's got a property that used to be their mum or dad's and they've passed away, three kids just want to sell it. They don't want to mm. stuff around. So you can perhaps negotiate a really good bargain. But if indeed, you know, Canberra is too high, if you can't get a property at the rental return that you're looking for, there will always be a place in Australia that is at the right number on the property clock. Where I look for is never buy coastal. Coastal is far too lifestyle. When the market's booming, coastal properties go up. When the market's not booming, you know, eight out of ten years, you can't sell a property if you, even if you want to. And, and I think just touching on that, it's so interesting at the moment. I've had so many clients roll into the office recently and go, oh, yeah, we've had a COVID year, we can't travel overseas, we've been down to the coast a few times, we want to buy a house down there. And I'm like, okay, is this an investment decision or is this a lifestyle decision? Because, again, it's about that context. That's right, that's right, that's right. So um, don't buy single industry. Port Headland is a classic where um, I heard about a property there that was on the market and sold, sorry, for $1.2 million and it was three-bedroom shack. And then with all the problems with the mining industry, um, it was on the market for 450000 two years later. So that's an absolute recipe for disaster. 
And I know I've had clients in that situation where they just chase the $1,200 a week rent thinking that's going to continue when, of course, it's not going to continue. These things are short. Yeah, and often say to people, I, by the time everybody's talking about it, if you jump into a cab or a, an Uber and you're getting property advice or share market advice or Bitcoin advice from yeah. the person who's driving, everybody knows about it. If, if, if everybody knows about it, it's too late. Indeed, yeah. do the opposite. Mm. You know, if, if someone's saying buy in Port Hedland, well, that's the last thing you can do. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> The other thing I always like where I like to buy is where there's a university and a hospital. If there's a university in the town or in the city, then the city's there to stay pretty much because, you know, these institutions take, you know, decades and decades to build up. So I like university and hospital towns and also buy where there's a population of more than 50,000. You need to have enough population movement in order to guarantee a price increase. Yeah, Um, definitely. And especially now in COVID where, where our international borders aren't, aren't open at the moment for migration. Yeah. So I have other clients. I don't know if you hear this too, but oh, it's a real problem. My property is now positively geared. I'm making money from it. It's like, that is fantastic. And then they say, oh, I think I should sell it because it's making money. It's like, no, don't sell it. This is fantastic. Use the money wisely and, you know, gather several of these things in retirement then it's going to be your income stream or supplement your income stream. Do you hear that, Scott? Yeah, look, I guess often and sometimes it's it's on the other foot with clients saying, oh, we've bought this property and we've lived in it, we've paid it down and now we want to buy a new lifestyle property. So then they're trying yeah. to negative gear or, or get tax benefit out of their first principal residence and move into a new property with a larger mortgage that's not going to have deductible debt against it. So that that's probably more of a... A kernel I get, but yeah, definitely on the on the investment side, especially the last few years, because with interest rates changing, principal and interest loans are now a bit cheaper than um, yes. interest only loans. So yeah, you're paying off the capital. It's, as well. it's, it's bizarre, isn't it? And I think you know another kind of maxim I live by is that be prepared to churn your main residence mm. because selling your main residence, the debt should be lower. You can take the cash out and use it as a deposit or pay down your next debt. But more importantly, depending on the situation, mostly it'll be capital gains tax-free if you've used it as a main mm. residence for the whole time you've owned it or yep. only rented it out for a short time. So, I, And, you know, you meet a client for the first time and they say, but I love that house, you know, we've lived in it. I'm like, that's fine, that's fine. It'll just take a little while for you to realise that it's absolutely mad to have a property with a million-dollar loan over here and a property over here with no loan that you're renting out. So that's the conversation that, you know, we end up coming around to. Mm. And again, it's all about context. And so do your numbers, get the context right and and, and build your framework when it comes to, to that money side of things. Now, Jane, I, I know time flies when you're having fun. I think we've uh, we've definitely been, uh, been, been talking a bit today. Any other comments you'd make around deductibility? I know, and look, I often send clients to see you because I know that you're going to get people the best deduction based on their situation and look at all the elements. But it's not just about getting tax deductions, is it? It's the, An accountant shouldn't be about, oh, I'm going to this accountant because they're getting me a good tax refund. No, no, that's right. But I think that, yeah, I know the classic is my last accountant was really good. He got me a big refund. I mean, and this just is, is an indication of the complete lack of knowledge of the tax system because it's not the job of the tax agent or accountant to decide, you know, what's claimable or not. That's set out by the tax law. A good mm. accountant is the one who interprets the tax law, applies it to your situation, 
claims things up to but not exceeding what can be defended, you know, in, in the case of an audit. Yeah, um, and there's I massive mean, ethical standards around that, isn't there, as well, which absolutely, is absolutely. Um, the ATO basically is, again, part of the system. The ATO has the rules and regulations and then the tax agents, I'm a, I'm a financial planner tax agent because we, we have to be tax agents under the, the current legislation. But where it's in our responsibility, as you say, to, to guide and, and, and make sure that we're interpreting that, that legislation. We're a tax agent. We're an agent of the tax department. We really are. We're there to make sure that the rules and regulations are upheld so everyone pays their fair amount of tax. Now, of course, we can do everything we can to minimise that. There's no problem against minimising it. But, you know, a lot of new clients come to me and say, oh, my last accountant claimed the $350 as a standard deduction. There are no standard deductions. There has to yeah, be exactly. some some evidence behind it. So it has to be, be evidence-driven as well. So, yeah. Yeah, so, so, I mean, a good accountant follows the rules, gets up as close as possible to the edge, you know, so you can mm. claim everything you're entitled to, but does ensure the documentation is in order so that if you're audited, you will be safe. So that's what my role is. So it's almost like a step before an ATO audit. But I guess my the joy that I get from my work is, you know, being trusted by clients to be able to guide them and I know that, Scotty, you see yourself as a linchpin in clients' lives. Well, I obviously am, Jane. I mean, I, look, I, I do often <laughs> Hey, But I think it's interesting, isn't it, that, you know, you and me as professionals are the ones who understand the intricacies of someone's financials better than their parents or their children or their brothers and sisters because we see stuff that they wouldn't see. Mm. So, you know not infrequently clients of mine include me as a name in their will mm. to exactly do that, to say, hey, go and talk to Jane. She'll know what to do or she'll mm. know what my intentions were with this investment. And I think like you, I take dub notes about family work history aspirations. And so when I do need to refer them to a financial planner, I'll refer them to Scott, a lawyer for estate planning, a different employer for a binding financial agreement, just to make sure that, the professionals I use have similar viewpoints as I do about the way we approach things. So I know that, yeah, I know my clients are in good hands. Mm, you don't want your accountant working in their silo, your financial planner working in their silo, your lawyer working in their silo. You really need those barriers to be down. So you need your accountant to be sitting in the same room every now and again as your financial planner or on the same Zoom meeting these days as your, your financial planner, yeah. just to make sure that the conversation is centred around you and that you're the centre stone to that conversation, yeah. not the amazing strategies that I might come up with as a financial planner or the, the amazing tax uh, offsets that, that Jane's going to put in place as the accountant. Like it, it's about making sure that there's, again, that, yeah. that communication. And we've had, we've had robust Zoom meetings on exactly that, haven't we, with clients? We have. And you suggested something and I've just blown you out of the water and vice versa. <laughs> like it's not, you know, it's not that often, but at times when clients have got to make big decisions which do impact on different areas of their life, yeah, it is useful and very enjoyable. I, I very enjoy that kind of work. Oh, definitely. Look, it is so it's so important and it's actually it's it's great to take people on that journey as well when it when it comes to the money stuff. And 
Look, Jane, we, we have we've we've spoken a lot today, and we've talked about many different elements within the the tax system. Have you got any um, parting comments before we sort of wrap up for for today's episode? Any any final words that you say to say to people who either haven't been to an accountant before, or they're just starting to get their head around? Okay, yeah, I've, I've now got got a handle on how the the, the tax. Um, tax rates work, uh, right, I want to start to think a bit more strategically about the way that I engage with the tax system. Any any insights, any final words on that front? I mean, I have said to, you know, quite a few clients, you don't need me to do your tax return anymore because your things are, your, your affair is very simple. I have clients who say, oh, will you do my children's tax returns, you know, their 18, 20, 22-year-old children? And I say, no, I won't. They can get onto my government. They can do it themselves because this is something that's very easy uh, for you know, for young people, goodness me, I'm saying the word young people, um, to, to get a hold of. But most importantly is for people to get on top of their budgeting. If people mm-hmm. got on top of their budgeting, they would know how much they spend a year on their lifestyle, how much they will need to spend in retirement and how to fill that gap. It all comes down to budgeting. That, that's the magic. I've got, I've got clients who are on $400,000 family income, haven't got a brass razoo, huge debt, fabulous lifestyle, clients on 100000 hardly any debt, and they've got multiple investment properties, and they are happy as pigs in mud. That's so true, Jane. That, that cash flow element is so important. It is, it is the foundation stone. I often say to people there's three pillars there in regards to know, know what your life outcomes are, like what's important to you, what do you want to be doing, what's your ideal life, who are you doing it with? have a check-in about your past and your history with money so that you can look at your money story and say, right, what's my my script when it comes to that? I, I really want to get you back, Jane, for another uh, episode when we do our uh, our next series. And and I do love the way you talk about cash flow as well. So I'd love to do a, a financial planner versus accountant uh, on, on that front. Thanks so much for, for joining me today. I'll um, add all your details to our, our show notes. So Jane's... Uh, pretty active on uh, on facebook and uh on twitter i think as well are you on twitter or not really no you're like no, you're, not, you're not a tweeter you don't tweet no oh, come on come on jane um but I'll, I'll add jane's details on the on the show notes as well hopefully you've got some great insights in regards to the tax system how it works how accountants can add value to your decision making but also just to start looking at your numbers a little bit more deeply so thanks so much jane for coming along been great to speak with you today thanks for having me scott really appreciate it